0: Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello, good morning. It's Wednesday the 19th of August. It's quite a warm morning. Um, Just a quick few things before we get started. Uh, First of all, a quick reminder, we have simultaneous translations uh, available for you, so you can access them by just clicking on the button below and you'll see uh, the various options there. Also, if you have any questions on this or any other topic, you can always reach us via Funds at nordia.com, Or there is another button down below that says Q&A and you can click there as well. So this morning we have the second session on our ESG and sustainability related uh, regulation and the impact that it's having uh, on distribution, and uh, the first session was held at the end of July. If you missed that, don't worry, um, this session, we'll be covering additional topics that we didn't cover in the first one, and you can always go back and look at that one, uh, and we'll tell you how to do that at the end of the session uh, today. Um, I think that's the, those are the main points. Uh, we are going to dive a bit deeper into some of the aspects. Um, that we touched upon in the last session Um, and what we'll also be doing is addressing some of the questions um, that we got out of the first session Um, and so what we've done is we've actually grouped uh, the the various questions into five areas. Uh, Those areas uh, relate to timelines, so dates, uh, key aspects uh, of the regulation, the sort of status quo where we are today, product classifications and how that's moving on, and then we're gonna touch on the fund labels at the end. So those are are broadly the five areas uh, where we got the most uh, questions. That's it. Uh, Thank you very much for those of you who did write in, and with that, I'm going to now introduce our two guest speakers. So, as before, I have uh, Michael Mordener on the line. Uh, Michael is Managing Director of the management company, which is Nordea Investment Funds SA, and also today we are joined by Cecilia Siegbaum. Uh, Cecilia is the regulatory expert for our internal ESG uh, regulation project. So course, ladies first. Cecilia, good morning. Are you on the line?
1: Can Hi, you hear me? Good morning. Uh, Hi.
0: Great. Good morning. And Michael, are you also on the line? Michael, I can't hear you. Yes, Paul. Good morning. Ah. Here I am. Good. Sorry. Good. Have you had your morning espresso? Uh, not yet. but I will do so <laughs> Okay. You're saving that. True. <laughs> good. All right, it's green for go. Um, Let's get started. Um, So last time we established that uh, ESG and responsible investing is is very much in our DNA here at Nordea. Um, But we also talked about the wave of of regulatory uh, initiatives that are not only impacting us as an asset manager, but also the entire industry. Um, And it will definitely lead to, to a profound change over the coming decades. So I wondered if you could just give us a sort of an overview of the expected timeline as we see it today for the various uh, regulatory initiatives, um, particularly those that are going to impact the distribution side.
2: Well, sure, Paul. Um, but let me start off by saying that uh, full clarity might take another one and a half to two years. So, I'm hoping being that I'm not really disillusioning anyone. Uh, the reason for that is basically that as there's so many new aspects are coming in now, but they're coming actually in drop wise, the time frame is a challenge. Um, and I actually would say it's rather both, it's a marathon and a sprint to follow the developments at the same time. But why so? Uh, well, the sequential chain of application dates of the different regulatory initiatives, coupled with the clarifications and practical implementation guidance that we are still to expect, I mean, those two areas, they're not perfectly aligned yet, Um, but on the other hand, um, it is also so that uh, simply due to the sheer mass of different regulations, existing ones being amended, but also new ones being introduced, it simply uh, is at the beginning at least uh, a bit uncoordinated. Now, however, uh, Why did I say you need to be basically uh, looking at it as a marathon and a sprint? It's basically that you need to be agile to follow what is basically short-term relevant for you, but at the same time also have a long breath. Uh, Nonetheless, I guess foremost important is that there is a time pressure. Being into it now is, at least to my opinion, uh, a must for both the asset managers, such as us at Nadea Asset Management, but also for the distributors, because uh, I guess nobody can really expect that we can wait for years and even decades to get the perfect framework in place in case we wanna actually meet the short to midterm targets as they are set. So, I mean, we have shared uh, the wider forest and some of you might actually remember that photograph that we shared in our first session uh, of all the different regulatory initiatives. Uh, But as you said, Paul, uh, we want today to focus on those particularly impacting distribution for which we also have prepared a little slide. So Cecilia, maybe over to you.
1: Yes, thank you, Michael let's see here. So if we look at it from the from the start, um, we can see that if we have mapped the ESG regulatory milestones on the, on the screen, these are the clear ones. Uh, but there are obviously several others to come as well. But with this screen, I think it's uh, quite clear to show that we are on this regulatory journey where one regulation sort of builds on the other one. And it is important to I would say in support to stay updated on all changes, because even though they only have an indirect impact, they are quite interlinked. But starting with the first one to come. So later this year, we will get the first delegated act of the taxonomy regulation. And this act will support us when setting the technical screening criteria for the first two environmental objectives, which is the climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation. And at the same time, we will also get the Delegated Act of the Disclosure Regulation. Uh, This one will provide some further support on how the market shall disclose the information in a more unanimous way than than what is done today. But in the first quarter of 2021, the EU-based issuers will get some guidance on how to report the data in this so-called non-financial reporting directive. And this will also support us in sort of how to handle the ESG data in the market. And as a general comment, I mean, it will be applicable to the EU-based issuers. So we cannot benefit from the US-based or the emerging market-based issuers, but it's still sort of a step in the right direction. Later on in March, 10th of March, to be precise, uh, the Disclosure Regulation and force, and this one Provides information how we, as an FMP, we integrate ESG factors in our business model, but also how we consider the adverse impact on the investments as such. Um, um, and later on, during the fall, we expect to get the EU Eco Label on financial products. We also expect to get the second delegated act of the taxonomy regulation. And last but not least, but I think most look forward to, is the inclusion of sustainability in the suitability assessment, the target market, and the risk management as they define it in NIFI-2 and IDD. As a final comment, when it comes to the timeline, I think it should be noted that we we'll probably have more and more voices, both from industry, but also regulators. They have started to suggest a delay of implementation of the disclosure regulation. And Acknowledging the fact that we will only get the final guidance in January 2021, it's almost going to be impossible for, for us to have it all right by then. So I would say that there's, there's nothing confirmed, so we're still hoping for a better or more generous timeframe, but we are preparing for this one that is present. But I just wanted to highlight it because this one explicitly covers the financial advisors, so it's important that the distributors have a close close eye on it.
0: Exactly. And, and I mean, this is this is exactly why we're doing these sessions in order to to help our financial advisors, our distributors um, prepare for this because it's coming and, and <laughs> there's nothing we can do to stop it. All we can do is follow what's going on and, and adapt. As you said, it's, it's important to be flexible here. You also mentioned the eco label just there. We're, we're going to come back to that a bit later. Um, that's an important point as well. So um, you mentioned the forest, Michael, uh, we're deep in the forest here. What can we do? How, how, how do we act now? What, how are distributors uh, expected to act and what in your opinion is, is going to be important uh, or, or most critical in, in terms of getting it right?
1: I mean, I would say if they haven't done it already, the distributors should definitely start right now to familiarize themselves with the different regulatory initiatives, especially the ones that have a direct effect on them. But I would also say it's good idea to have a look at those initiatives to have an indirect impact because based on the current business model or even the future direction they want to head in, these initiatives might be quite a few. So it's definitely time to get started. And might sound like a broken record here, but I think it's crucial to understand the interdependencies of the initiatives and the impact they have on value change and processes. So. In order not to be time squeezed in the end, it is time for sure. Because when it comes to, if you say real acting, you mean such a change of processes, you're preparing the documentation, you need to train your, your staff, your people that you have, this should be part of an overall implementation plan. So as soon as we get some more or even better, the final clarity from the regulators, you can act quickly.
2: And uh, maybe just for me to, to add to what Cecilia just said already. I mean, those having listened to our first session might remember a metaphor that I used there, which was with the boxes that we are given right now by the draft regulations or first sets of regulations, but these boxes don't simply fit yet. Uh, but maybe for those being new to, to our format here, let me maybe give you a short recap. Many providers of products or services. Um, those providers, having been active in the field of ESG, sustainable products, uh, responsible investing and the like for a while, we basically all together need to uh, categorize and classify our products going forward as per the new requirements. But these requirements, they are not yet really fully clear. Or in other words, the boxes are not yet ready. This is, however, of significant importance, to my opinion, at least for distributors, since the product classification is essential for the changes brought forward, for example, in NIFI-2 and the related introductions, as I mentioned it already, of the sustainability preferences into the suitability assessment, but also the impact on target market concept and the way data and classifications are actually transported from the producer to the distributor at the end. So hence, distributors, again, to my opinion, could be well advised to look into this and to be ready, at least with what they want to put into their boxes, so to say, and have an idea as to how and where to adjust their related internal processes uh, when being asked actually to implement. So bottom line is, there's preparation work that is needed to be done. So that basically when you as a distributor uh, want to sell in the future an ESG or sustainable product, that you do it in the right way at the end.
0: So hopefully it's clear to everyone listening in that by now that you know these, these changes um, brought in by Mifid uh, will have an impact uh, in the way that distributors can and, and will sell going forward. Um, Obviously, it's, it's a must for distributors, so I guess it should be high on everyone's agenda. Um, but you also mentioned last time and also today, I think earlier, you that you know, this, this isn't really clear cut right now. It's still being debated. I guess there's some lobbying going on behind the scenes as well. Um, perhaps you could just give us a sort of status quo, current status um, of the method changes relating to the sustainability preferences um, and in terms of the mar- target market as well.
1: Of course. And you are absolutely correct. Uh, the industry was definitely not lazy over the spring or the beginning of summer. Uh, so, the feedback, which also included us and in Nodia, to the proposed changes, they were actually provided back to the policymakers during July. And then some clear concerns were raised. And I would say the good thing about the feedback from all the different areas of the industry was there was very much aligned and I think that's a sign that maybe the proposed changes actually need to be reviewed again. But in terms of the sustainability preferences, and I'm gonna spare you all the legal lingo here, Paul, but
0: industry asked for
1: the industry <laughs> <you>. asked for, <laughs> for a simplification uh, in order to avoid these ambiguities between the different regulations that I mentioned earlier. So Another key aspect in this scenario was the timing uh, and according to the drafted changes to MIFID Two, the product classification will be based on something called the adverse impact data and this is not even going to be available in the market until a year after the sustainability preferences are updated. The second change is related to the target market and here's some progress as well. So on the screen right now you will see the proposed version from Pharma, and at this stage, I can also mention that in Germany, the BVI and the other associations, they even put the development of the product classification model in the ENT, which is the European mifid template, the target market concept, even further. So it's going to be quite interesting to see the, the final template.
0: Great. So, so we had this theme of um, product classification already in the first session. So it's obviously a theme that keeps coming up. Could you perhaps, and again, nice simple terms for me, please. Um, could you explain exactly you know, how that's, uh, how, how that's going to work?
1: Sure, no problem. So, first I would just like to mention that one terminology that you find quite often right now in the industry is that people talk about these light green and the dark green products. And I suppose you ask yourself, what does this actually mean? Yeah. The first thing to note is that the green, in this case, it, it it shouldn't be misunderstood as only catering for products that that contains the E. According to the disclosure regulation, it's also products that include S and G. But the greener, um, the green was probably chosen. I mean, to illustrate it in a simple way. So I'm going to stick with that terminology. But you can just keep it in mind. So on the slide, you can see that. In principle, there are three categories of products and logically the higher proportion of sustainable investments, as you can see here, the greener it gets. The first category are these basic products. They have an integration of sustainability, risk and aspects in the investment decisions. The second category is the one with easy inclusion or light green products. They have a dedicated ESG strategy, including, for example, exclusions and specific measures on how to ensure governance practice. Uh, the third category is the dark green products, and they have a sustainable objective with their investments. And these products have a real impact, and therefore they have by far the highest requirements. And I would see you see the questions mark here, and I would say the main challenge at the market right now is where do we put the thresholds?
2: And on that one, if I may add, uh, because this is probably still very theoretical or technical, and people could come to think, wait a minute, um, how come this is basically so complicated? Because at the end, it just looks simple, three categories. So what's basically the big deal about it? But as usual, the devil is actually here in the detail. And when it comes to distribution particularly, I would like to emphasize that uh, only the light and dark green products are considered sustainable products. So if a client comes and bonds, uh, in an advisory session in the future, a green or sustainable product, uh, you cannot simply offer the basic ones. But let me try basically what we have said now, uh, simplifying it by means of looking at the purpose of the product classes in the light of the investment objective for a second, maybe. So basic ones, uh, as Césaire the mentioned, these are, besides using some basic ESG characteristics and uh, considerations, focusing mostly on return and the investment objectives. While basically light green ones, so bear in mind, again, the first one that you really can use uh, as an ESG or sustainable product, they follow basically a financial return objective, which shall be achieved with a selection of investments in accordance with a predetermined and disc- Closed ESG strategy. So there needs to be a bit more than basically actually just the bare minimum of following certain uh, standards such as the UN PRI for example. Coming then to the third category, the dark green ones, they are however trying to achieve sustainability objectives alongside financial return. So return and sustainability are, if I can say so, Uh, somewhat equal components. But it's important not to be misunderstood here, meaning that basically the higher you will get in terms of sustainability focus that you're actually sacrificing return. That's not what it means. It basically just means that the requirements on sustainability are getting higher, the greener a product gets. And all of this obviously is to come with certain criteria and thresholds which must be disclosed to investors, documented accordingly and also be obviously well explained. So it's not only, however, on the provider side, since it also is to go to the investors, the sell side is also very much here in the spotlight, since there are new requirements to assess, uh, document, and regularly review uh, the product selection process for your sustainability offering. So some work to be done, but that's also something we as Nadia and Asset Management, we are extremely committed to help our distributors with, because we at the end want to make it easy for you. And today, obviously, and I hope for your understanding, we cannot really go into Uh, all the details of the legal debate that is currently going on. But obviously we we are very happy and looking forward to you reaching out to us uh, on a more bilateral basis in order to continue the discussions. If so, uh, there's a need on your
0: side. Great. So we are starting to run out of time a little bit, but um, Michael, quick statement um on the last subject matter that we had which was the label debate and um there's a lot going on in in recent years and we've seen more and more uh, label agencies coming up backed by different organizations different administrations um and here on the distribution side you know we, we tend to like these because it's it's a an independent you know, um, objective kind of uh, insight into the products and and basically That we can show that we're doing what it says on the tin, if you like. Um, But there's also been this development of the eco label, and uh, Celia mentioned it right at the beginning there, uh, for financial products, which is sort of the EU initiative. Um, Could you just shed a little bit of light on on the label discussions and and what's going on there right now? Uh,
2: Okay, and let me try keeping it short, Paul, and (laughs) thanks for giving me that challenge uh, (laughs) to put that into a minute or two. (laughs) Okay, uh, what's going on? You're right, and also we in our product range obviously uh, use labels by relevant providers to label our ESG products. So that's nothing new, and that's also what the market overall has very much adapted to. Now, however, with the eco-label, there's a new one to come, but important to remember is that the eco-label for retail financial products focuses only on the E aspect. While the other national labels, for example, uh, people know the Luxflag ESG label here in Luxembourg, is an ESNG label. Hence the Ecolabel is not a replacement or one could think uh, one size fits all for all the other existing ones but uh, the Ecolabel is rather a European add-on I would say focusing on the environmental side. Interestingly uh, there has just been a study published on an EU level checking about 100 I guess it was 101 equity ESG funds available today against the uh, draft criteria of the Ecolabel. The outcome is that uh, only three, and you're right, listening to only three, would actually fulfill the requirements, which in the first place probably sounds quite disillusioning, uh, to be honest, but it also has revealed as a study one of the major obstacles of the entire framework that the industry is facing right, right now. And Cecilia also mentioned it already, it's the lack of reliable or useful data uh, disclosed by the investee companies, so the ones we as an asset manager would invest in, to enable a proper assessment from our side of their activity. So addressing this data gap on the one side uh, through for example the non-financial reporting directive, as I mentioned at least for the European firms but also sharpening the criteria is of utmost importance not only for the eco label but I even would say for all the different regulatory initiatives including for example uh, those where you need to do the sustainability uh, statement also your famous PI, so PI standing for principal adverse Impact Statement, to make those statements at the end actually meaningful and not only meaningful for us as an industry, meaning for us as a uh, producer of products or manufacturer, but also uh, for the distributors and most importantly for the end investor. Now, and I take care of the time, uh, we have seen actually voices coming up, such as, for example, very recently from the French regulator, the AMF, because they actually have been calling out for conservation of an EU-wide ESG label. Because uh, after the, what they say, proliferation of national labels in the recent years, they think it's probably also time that basically something is done on an EU-wide uh, level. But let's, to be honest, see where this uh, idea is leading us and what is going to happen now, especially after summer and when we're entering into uh, the fall. But regardless of that, uh, one thing at least to my opinion is clear and that's actually that the labels as we know them right now, uh, the existing ones on national level, they all will change or will have to change and align with the new uh, standards in some sort of form or shape in order to not only to remain relevant, but also to be accepted by the industry and by the investors. So this is a debate that is certainly worth keeping an eye on, especially when you as a distributor uh, use labels very much in your selection process. Hope that was still in time, for.
0: Yeah, that's all good, that's all good. What we're gonna do now is uh, just summarize. So we have um, our traditional key takeaways and uh, that will be on the screen right now. Uh, So, again, uh, Michael or Cecilia, if you've got anything you would like to add, then feel free to interrupt. But um, first of all, product classification. So this is the the basic, the light green and the dark green. Remember, dark green means uh, that the criteria are going to be much stiffer in terms of the ESG and responsible investing. Um, So that's something that will be a central factor. Um, sustainability preferences is under review. It's not clear cut yet. We need to stay on top of this. Um, and obviously, depending on which way it goes, it will, have, it will impact us in different ways. So um, this is still a moving target, if you like. Um, the third point, the ESG data gap that Michael was just talking about there, it's a key concern, got to be solved. And um, these labels are a part of that discussion uh, for sure. And then finally, the time horizon where we've already heard there might be a delay in this. Um, let's see, see what happens. Um, it wouldn't be the first time uh, implementation has been delayed. Um, so again, this is something that we need to follow closely uh, to make sure that we do have everything ready on time. I think that's it. Any last comments from either of you? No, not for me. Thank you, Paul. No. Thank Excellent. You. Well, then thank you both very much for your time again this morning. And, um, you know, Michael, you mentioned earlier, you know, if, if anyone that's listening does have questions about this or needs clarification, either, you know, in the next weeks or months or in six months or 12 months, please, please feel free to use us as a resource. Um, we're more than happy to uh, try and answer any questions that you have and, and provide any clarity that we can uh, around this topic. So, please see us as a resource and uh, you know, don't be shy uh, to, to ask your questions. That's it. Um, finally, uh, just to mention next week, uh, I have a very special guest. Uh, in fact, I might actually have to wear a tie and jacket, even though it's very warm, um, because it's our CEO. Who will be joining me next week, uh, Niels Bollstrand, and he will be here to discuss the asset management industry and um, also how COVID has, has uh, impacted our business. Um, in the meantime, don't forget that you can visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu where you will find all of the past interviews, including this, the first session um, of. of this ESG discussion that we had in the last week of July—you'll find that on that microsite. Um, but you also find the podcasts and Q and A's. That's it. I look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. Till then. <laughs>